Hey, welcome back to Lero Podcast Season 4. Today we're talking to Jess Archer. Jess Archer. Archer, something like that in Australianese. <laughs> She's going to talk to us about APIs and all sorts of other stuff about building them. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to Laravel Podcast Season 4, where every single episode is about a specific topic. And today, now remember, when I try to pronounce people's names, I try to pronounce it in their native language. And so today, I'm talking to Australians and an Australian, and every single time I hear her name, Jess Archer, Archer, I, I hear either her or Michael saying, Jess Archer. I think Acha, <laughs> something like that. So just like everybody else, that's going to be my attempt at Australianizing it. So Jess is going to be talking to us today. Once again, just like what I did with Samantha, where I told her, here's 10,000 different topics. With Jess, I'm going to give her one topic, which is so massive that there's no way you could possibly cover it in a single episode. And we're going to just try and do it anyway. So as we do at the beginning of every single episode, Jess, can you just tell us if you were to meet someone in the grocery store in the days of your when we went to grocery stores or however else you would meet someone, how do you tell somebody about what you actually do? Okay, so I tend to say I am a web application developer. Okay. And I kind of differentiate that a bit from a a web developer that might make a website. I tend to make more interactive websites. Mm -hmm. So things like, for example, Facebook or internet banking, things that tend to have more buttons, forms where you type things into that are more interactive, that'll store information. That's kind of how I describe yeah, what I, I like do. that. I, I'll often say like something, you know, if if you have to log into something or if you change something and it changes, that's more like a web app. Whereas a website is you go and it's just always the same thing and I get information off of it. But I, I like the way you said that. So if, yeah. if you were to meet if, if you met someone who actually understands programming, like what's what's your actual day job and what do you what are your projects and what kind of tech do you work in and everything? So I probably would say full stack, full stack web dev with a passion for Laravel, Vue and Tailwind. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my my stack of choice these days. I flirt around a little bit. I do three days a week for a medical technology company. Okay. And I work with JMac of Laravel Shift a little bit, help him out with stuff. And then I just try and work on my own side projects as well. So very cool. I like the and variety and I like doing the full stack from sometimes even designing them um, UIs oh, cool. all the way down to I, I've got a server in my office here that's, you know, running tons of Docker containers and yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're like a, you're a Vim wrangling Linux user, so you're definitely full yes. on geek. So yeah, <laughs> I didn't know you could do design too. So what was the name of your, your SaaS? Is it Gifty Duck? Is that right? Yeah. Gifty Duck is a little SaaS I started with a friend, um, mm-hmm. just designed. It's kind of like an online wish list, okay. uh, kind of like a, yeah, almost like a social network wish list type okay. thingy. Is it similar to like, so like my family uses Amazon wish lists to share. Is it like a no Amazon version of that or is there more to yeah, it? Yeah, you can kind of put any URL you want and it uses like web standards to try and scrape information oh, cool. about the products depending on like which format they're using. Basically, like, you know how when you go to Google, you type in yeah. a search result and it knows like the price and yeah. all that in like the, so using the same metadata Very to cool. try and scrape as much as I can about the product so that you can add it to your wish list. And what is it called? Jason something LD or Jason something? Yeah, D? Jason LD is one of them. There's, oh, there's more than um, one. Yeah, there's so many now. I can't even Got think it. of them all off the top of my head. <laughs> but um, yeah, some of them are like separate sort of files. Some of them are headers. Some of them are just metadata like you put on the HTML elements on the uh-huh, page. Like meta elements, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a few of those. But yeah, it's completely completely free and we make our money by if you put an Amazon link or oh. um, any link with any of our affiliates, We'll yeah. put our affiliate code on the end of it. It's brilliant. But it doesn't cost anyone else anything. So yeah. it's kind of, yeah. I love and then, that. But if you if you put a, a link for a, like a, a place we don't have an affiliate link with, 
it's fine. We didn't get anything from it, but that's fine. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. So you've got a lot of thing. Wait, what's what is something in the fires? Lots of things going on. I can't remember yeah, the like analogy. Irons in the irons fire. In the fire. Think, lots yeah. of irons and lots of fires. Yeah. Um, but it, other folks may know you from doing the podcast with uh, the what's Base Code podcast and also from yep. being a speaker at Laircon. So I just yeah. want to get context from everybody. And how, yeah. how did I do on, on the Australian version of your name, by the way? Did I get it? Did I do OK? It sounded to me a bit more British. I would say just I can never do the difference. I don't know. Archer? I don't know whether just Archer. 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 <laughs> yeah. Australian, South African and British are Australian and South African are almost the same to my ears. And oh, wow. I'm, a lot of people British say is New Zealand is the same as Australian. Maybe. Maybe. Well, yeah, I, I definitely can't tell the difference between those two. <laughs> like, I didn't even know that you would have told me that they were different. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know why South African is so similar, but I often meet someone from South Africa and assume at the beginning that they're from Australia. I don't know why. British, right, I can hear okay. the difference, but I can't do accents. So, <laughs> anyway, sorry. All of this, we're, I don't know how many minutes in. I think we're five minutes in and we haven't got to it. So, the topic today is APIs. So, yes. we are eventually going to get to APIs in Laravel, but we're just going to start with APIs in general. So, if you had to describe the topic APIs to a five year old, how would you describe them? Okay, so I think it's important to know what it stands for. It's an application programming interface. All right. And an interface is basically when two things communicate with each other. The most familiar interface you might be familiar with is a user interface, which is a thing that lets a person tell a computer what to do and to get information from a computer. Everything you see on a screen is part of a user interface, and it might be text, buttons, Mm -hmm. you know, text inputs. So when you think of something like YouTube... You're probably thinking of its user interface and not all of the other stuff that's behind it. So an application programming interface or API is another type of interface. But this is an interface that allows computer programs to talk to other computer programs to send and receive information and to give instructions. How's that? That was freaking fantastic. You sound <laughs> in, in only the best ways you sound like a college professor. Like oh, wow. that was that was like 100 percent. And, I, and for a second there, I was like, this is so accurate. It probably is not kid appropriate. And I thought I was like, no, it's completely kid appropriate. My kid, my eight-year-old could totally could have handled that. I don't yeah, know if my just, four-year-old could have, but she's not five yet. It lets yeah. computers talk to other computers. I mean, yeah, I love yeah, that. Or even just computer programs, talking to other computer programs, mm-hmm. even within the same big computer program. Yeah. So. Yeah. And also just the idea that what is an interface is really helpful because the interface, like we often talk about the technical definition of interfaces and, you know, like what is an interface in PHP or whatever. Like but, a PHP interface. Yeah. Yeah. But like an interface is a thing outside of the programming world and it should give us some context of describing it's the in, it's the interface between A and B. It's the interface two, between yes, the person. Between and yeah, two, two different things. things. If two people yeah. are talking and having a conversation, they're interfacing. Yes, that's awesome. So we we definitely are at the point where an API is a lot broader here than what we often talk about. So so now take me up to programmer level and talk to me about either a programmer who has never thought about APIs or maybe has a really narrow understanding about an API. Could you describe what an API is to a programmer? Okay, so, well, most people might be familiar with a typical like REST or HTTP Mm -hmm. or web API where you're sending and receiving JSON or XML payloads. So that's what a lot of people think of when they think of an API. But an API is effectively any entry point that allows access to another piece of code. So you can think of things like the public methods and properties on a class as Mm -hmm. the API of that class. The props on a component, like a view component or a blade component, the props Mm -hmm. are the API of that component. Even the programming languages you're using, such as PHP, is effectively an API or an abstraction to a lower level of code in the computer. Hmm. 
So PHP's like every method you look at has an API and is an API to do things yeah. on the lower level. And then that the, the languages underneath that, again, are going using APIs in the language below them. So it's APIs all the way down. I love that. I love that. <laughs> because it's it, it, once you say that, like you imagine looking at an API documentation that says, here's the endpoint, here's the things you're allowed to do with it, here's the parameter it takes. And you think about the PHP documentation, it's the same thing. Here's the method, yep. here's the things it takes, here's what it returns. That's really cool. Yeah, it's kind of like it describes, like the documentation for an API is generally describing the input and the output. So mm -hmm. what you can send to it and what you can expect to get back from it. And it's the same for a web API or a method in PHP. Yeah. It's it's all just describing what the yeah, like what the interface is gonna be. Or even in some ways interactions between two people. You know, if you send this to that person, you can have a little bit of an expectation of what you're gonna get back from them. This is true, yeah. These like social yeah. protocols and you know, yeah. all this sort of stuff. Wow, yeah. This is deeper than I expected. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, so those are APIs. So, one of the things that you said before we were talking, I don't know if you said it right now, but I love was the idea that people can often talk about that the API of a package or a piece of code or something like that also. And that's something I heard a lot in the Laravel world where, for example, Taylor will talk about often, like you, he'll use the word API to describe, I wanted to give it the simplest API possible, or I wanted to, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I feel like that's the most common usage I've heard of somebody saying API outside of the context of a REST API. So you have now yeah. given us all context to understand why that is that phrasing that he and other folks are using. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so with a package, for example, the API might not be specifically the API of one class, but it's the mm -hmm. API of the, what the entire package is kind of is affording you. So there might be multiple classes you can interact with and it's the API is the overall interface with that. So it's yeah. can be a little bit abstract, but then as you dig deeper, it's what's the API of this class? Yeah. What's the API of this method? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. You also just used another word that I hear people say often, and I it's new to my vocabulary in the last four or five years is affording and affordance. It's oh interesting. yeah, Adam Weathen really got yeah. that into my vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that's very much an Adam thing talking about affordances, and it's interesting because when I heard him talking about it, I realized that the main time I'd heard it prior to that is in user experience design, and they talk mm -hmm. about affordance, like not even just user experience design and the web, but also in like building refrigerators and stuff like that. They talk about affordances, so it's really cool to think about the fact that like a refrigerator you know there's some classic example can make it possible for people whose hands don't grip as well to open the refrigerator in a mm -hmm. way that they couldn't or it was something in the kitchen i can't remember what and similarly we're 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 building interfaces not between a person and a refrigerator but between a person and a computer or a programmer and a piece of code or whatever and so it's it, it actually has a lot of overlap even in just the way we can think about like how do you build refrigerators such that everybody can use them not fully, you know, fully physically abled in their hands, people, right? Like how do yeah. you help a, a grandma who doesn't have full whatever? Similarly, how do we build these packages with APIs that make sense for more people or work in more contexts? And so there's a lot of overlap there. I really appreciate you introducing that concept. Yeah, there. The, the idea of, of an affordance is it's like telling you what it can do as well. Mm -hmm. So Adam's example was, I think, a chest of drawers. And okay. the handle is the affordance. It communicates mm -hmm. with you you can see what you can do with it because the handle is right there. Whereas you'll get some sort of fancy cabinetry that like doesn't have handles yeah, and it doesn't communicate what you can do with it. It's almost like an API without documentation. <laughs> yes. The first thing you do is walk up to it and just kind of rub your hands all it's over. It's like you push you it, see it, if it's one yes. of those ones or is it a push, pull one? Pull. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. So we're talking about APIs a little bit, but let's dive down a little bit further. And now, to, unless there's more that you wanted to go there, let's talk a little bit about what people assume. Oh, you got, you got okay. something else? I do. So yeah. one thing I think is really, really important to remember that although 
APIs are for computer programs to talk with each other. The main like consumer of the API is actually the developer that's yeah, yeah. writing the program. So when you are building your APIs and writing your APIs, whether it's in a class, whether it's a web API, try to be always thinking of the human that's going to be mm. writing the code that's interacting it, not just the computer on the other end, but yes. the human as well. I love that. The best APIs I've ever worked with clearly were written with the humans in mind, mm -hmm. not just the computers in terms of the documentation, but also just the naming of things, the conventions, all the things that kind of make sense that computers don't care about, like compilers don't care about, yeah. you know, what's going on with like naming of, of things and consistency, but yeah. humans do. It's important to us to yeah. make things a pleasure to work with. I mean, that's what comes down to developer experience, yeah. which is something that I'm really passionate about of I can tell. Even the internal code that we're writing, like I think about my own developer experience in three months' time when I come back to look yes. at it. Don't remember what you were is doing this or gonna, what you thinking Yeah, is this going to yeah. be clear what this is doing? Is mm -hmm. the intent clear? The affordance is all obvious. I love so. that. And I love the idea of making it obvious because it's like not just does it work, not just – I mean, I, I don't know. I think that making it obvious is one step further in the direction of like trying to make the DX really good, the developer experience really good beyond what I think we tend to think about. Like, cause we tend to think about like, well, I put it all there, it's all there, but just because it's there doesn't mean that it's discoverable or or it's um, intuitive. And so yeah. I love that idea that you're talking about. Like, and this is true in APIs of packages, but also could end up being true in REST APIs. Like, what does it look like for things to be discoverable, which is a big term that they use in like the official REST APIs, but yep. intuitive. Well, how do, how do you make it make sense? Like, and like, did you, were, so what's your coding background? Do you do like Code Igniter and all that old crappy PHP stuff back in the day or? Uh, so I started with just PHP on its own. I wrote my own uh -huh. CMS at some point because at the time nice. I don't think WordPress had nav menus or anything and I was like, no, I need to make my uh -huh. own. Yeah. And then at some point WordPress far exceeded what I had built. So I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go with I WordPress. I the same thing, by the way. So. And then I had a similar thing with frameworks. I'm like, these are just so heavy. They're, you know, I don't like them. Um, so I, you know, would build my own frameworks. But yeah. then one day I discovered Laravel, I think through Jeffrey Way. Oh, cool. And I, I was doing like a Vim course or a regex course or something on like NetTuts and he was using a blade file as an example. And I'm like, what's this What's this Laravel thing you're talking about? <laughs> and so I think, yeah, like I discovered Laravel and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm never writing my own framework <laughs> my ever own framework again. again. I'm like, I this, like Laravel is very opinionated and I agree with all of its opinions and it has taught me things that I would never even have thought of. It's yes. just, it's such a pleasure to use. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> when I, I asked that because, and that's a perfect segue. I asked that because back in the Code Igniter days, um, when we would write like internal APIs and stuff like that, there was no convention around using, you know, like plural of the thing, thing slash one. There wasn't any conventions around posting to the endpoint to the plural of it to create something or anything like that. Yep. And so I look at APIs I wrote back in those days and I just kind of made it up. And yeah. some of the some of the conventions worked and some of them were terrible, but we just had no idea. And so they weren't discoverable, right? Because we you there's no way to know because there's no standards there's no reasonable expectation of what an api is going to shape like and and i learned like you said i learned through laravel what a healthy api shape would look like and then now that's what i do all my apis like so i totally feel you there's only one thing i didn't agree with in laravel in the beginning which was the fact that it sorted the imports by length instead of alphabetically and it drove me nuts <laughs> and enough. it's the first thing i changed all the time but they don't do that anymore so it's good we're good yeah. everything's good yeah. now so yeah. now i agree with i'm everything. i'm always a fan of of conventions over preference. So I think back in the day, I, I always preferred tabs over spaces, but me too. 
I would prefer, though, to use the common convention. I don't want yep, my code to be unique or to have my yes. personal flavor your, your on, it. on like, it. I love that. Yeah. I love it. So anything else you wanted to share about that before we start diving into REST and JSON APIs? No, I think we can. Uh, let's let's dig down into into a specific type of API. <laughs> okay, so one particular type of API, which is the most commonly discussed uh, when somebody uses the term API, this most likely to be talking about a web-based API, probably going to be consumed by either JavaScript or a mobile app, and it's going to be probably REST-ish, probably JSON, right? So, yes. can These you days. talk? What's that? These days, it will These be. These days, yes. yeah. It wouldn't XML sometimes still, and you know, would have yeah. been soap in the past. So, but like I think in the Laravel world, that's the the safe assumption, right? That's that where you're going. Yes. And we're certainly narrowing this down. Like we're not even just taking it from APIs to HTTP APIs. We're now taking it also the whole way down. So you know, actually, let's step back a little bit. Could you just give like a really quick high level of like HTTP APIs in your knowledge? I mean, I'm not asking you to give us a full history lesson, but like okay. how much, you know, could you share a little bit about the history that you know of like APIs and SOAP and XML, JSON, stuff like that? Like, have you done much, exp have you had much experience with them? Uh, I, whenever I think of the word SOAP, I kind of get like traumatic flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. They, they were not, in my opinion, didn't have, good developer experience at all. They Couldn't were just hard. The, even when you had documentation, it was just so verbose and it was so hard to figure out what was going on. I don't know whether it was because I was less experienced at the time, but yeah, SOAP yeah. was not my friend. Yeah. I think APIs really started to make sense for me when I learned about REST, which is mm -hmm. represent, represent, sorry, representational state transfer, I think is yes. the uh, and it's very is, hard is to what say. it stands for. It is quite <laughs> hard to say representational. Yes. And I think that was when I started to realize that APIs could actually be something I would enjoy working with and um, and even creating. Because I think prior to that, I'd only ever worked with other APIs and they weren't mm -hmm. REST. And in my head, API was a dirty word almost. And yeah. at that time, all I thought of with API was web APIs as well. So yep. I think the, the idea with REST was really good. It, it really leveraged what the HTTP standard had mm -hmm. been set out to do and using a lot of the things that had already been built into it. Yeah. So a lot of the different HTTP verbs, you might typically think of like get and post as being the most common ones on a website, yeah. but there were a lot more other ones that weren't really being used yeah. that often. So things like put, patch, delete being the kind of the extra ones that filled in a lot of the gaps. Yeah. And then even status codes. I mean, I remember when I started building a website, I didn't really know what a status code was yeah. other than like a 404, you know, didn't even really trigger that when there wasn't a 404, there was still maybe another status code. So right. as I started to learn this whole other language for describing uh, what the API was doing, and it was based on things that had been around for, yeah, quite a long time. I mean, I think REST in itself has probably been around for longer than I appreciate, but um, yeah. yeah. I should know this because I gave a talk about its history, but I can't remember actually when it came about. But you're you're absolutely right that like REST, REST itself was designed to reflect an understanding of like the best parts of the HTTP spec. Like, they, and yeah. I feel like I remember there was some aspect where he actually like did it. They asked a whole bunch of people questions about what's good about it, what's bad about it, what's used and what's not used, and it was all around like how do we implement these things. So I love you introducing that concept. So if you had to give the simplest description to a programmer, not to a five year old, mm -hmm. of what REST is, what is what's what's a REST API? So I tend to think of it as uh, resources and collections. 
Mm-hmm. So a, with a collection just being a collection of resources and a resource yeah. being an individual object in your business domain. So if you're doing an invoicing app, an mm-hmm. invoice might be a resource. Right. So REST basically allows you to transfer, like this is this is where the, where the, um, the state transfer part comes from REST. Yeah. Prior to REST, I think a lot of people were using RPC or remote procedural call where the mm-hmm. API, you would kind of like send an action and just say, yep. do this thing and you'd make up some sort of payload. Yep. Whereas REST defined a way of saying, this is the representation of this invoice in whatever mm-hmm. format, so commonly JSON. So this is the representation of that as an object with properties. It might have the price, whether it's paid. And to me, REST was always about transferring that object yeah. From like if you're creating it, for example, transferring it from your browser to the API server and you're saying yeah. this is the state of this, this is what it is. That's when you're yeah. creating one. When you're retrieving one, you're again, you're re- requesting that object out. And when you're updating it, you're potentially replacing it with a whole new one, but it's got the same ID. Or you're mm-hmm. maybe just tweaking one or two um, properties on there. Yeah. So then when you've got collections, that's when you're dealing with the the resources as a collection of objects. So you might be dealing with invoices as a whole. So you're collect you're mm-hmm. you're requesting a listing of all of the invoices, or maybe mm-hmm. just all of the invoices matching a certain parameter, or maybe just one page of invoices if you're using a paginated API. And likewise, you can you could potentially delete an entire collection of of invoices. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's generally commonly implemented, but right. when you're creating an object, you're normally putting it into a collection. And the URLs normally reflect that. So if you're wanting to add a new invoice to the system, you will post it to the invoices collection. Mm-hmm. And then inside that collection, you can reference an individual one by its ID. So that's when you've got invoices forward slash one, two, three. And right. that's when you might want to either retrieve that one invoice, edit it, or delete it. Right. Um, so that's that's kind of how I think of it, of, of REST. How does I that, that sit with you? I love it. Because you've got, you got, and one of the things that I think there's really important about rest is that it's using the urls to represent like the identification yeah. of the resource collection and then the individual resource and that's all a part of what you were saying before right it's like rest is really based around http and http is urls status codes you know verbs you know those are some yeah. of the most important foundational elements of it so you're representing i love that that you point that out by the way if anybody doesn't know this it's not that huge of a distinction, but it's helpful to know how they thought about it is, is each of those JSON objects or XML objects or whatever that you're passing around is a representation of the invoice. It's not the invoice. And that's a little bit of an arbitrary distinction, but it seemed it was very important and important enough that it's literally in the name of the thing is that the representational state transfer, it's not the actual object itself being transferred. Uh, And we just kind of take that for granted. But so we've got URLs that define which thing we're interacting with. If it's slash invoices, then it's the collection of invoices. If it's slash invoices, invoices question mark status equals unpaid then it's the collection of unpaid invoices if it's slash invoices slash 14 then it's invoice number 14 so we have defined you know which resource or which resource collection we're working with purely through our url and then our verbs allow us to say what are we doing to that collection of that resource collection and then what we're posting or what we're receiving is the actual that that representation being transferred i mean you got that freaking perfect so i love that so that's in good that's a really important point about the URLs. The action is always in the HTTP, HTTP verb. So you would never want to have, like, to be kind of truly restful, you wouldn't have a URL where it says mark as paid, for example, for mm-hmm. an invoice. Mm-hmm. You would instead be updating the invoice record, invoices slash one, two, three, 
and changing the status, for example, property on that. Yeah. And that was kind of the distinction between the more RPC, the remote procedural call, where you're just, it's all about the action yeah, being in the, the URL. Mm-hmm. Instead, you're just, I mean, you're limited because you've only got the HTTP verbs that are available, but that limitation is actually quite empowering and helps you make more structured and consistent APIs. Yeah. Um, and there's some other stuff I'd like to tell them later about ways you can um, improve that as well. Yeah, that's great. So we've got a kind of a good understanding of what REST is. And we've said REST can work with XML, can work with JSON, can work with other formats. Mm-hmm. But in the Laravel world, it tends to be JSON. So we tend yep. to do REST, at least REST-ish, if not fully REST APIs that are transferring JSON using everything you just described there. And there's a lot of conventions in the framework itself that actually leans you in those directions. Where, Definitely. You know, like it returns JSON by default and all that kind of stuff. So if I were to build a Laravel, the simplest possible Laravel-powered REST JSON API today, could you mm-hmm. just walk me through kind of what some of the pieces are that I would put together for that? Sure. So there are a few conventions that people do depending on whether or not the application is only an own API or whether it mm-hmm. is also a server rendered app that has that happens to have an API. So if your Laravel app is doing both, you might want to actually create like a forward slash API mm-hmm. um, as part of the URL. So you can kind of namespace all the API stuff separate from the other stuff. So you might have like forward slash invoices might be the, the user interface for invoices. Right. And then API slash invoices might be to, you know, get the JSON version of that. But yeah. there are some other things we can also talk about how you can combine those. Yep. So once you've decided, you know, whether or not you want to namespace it, you might also want to put a version in the URL. You might want to put it mm-hmm. in a header, which we can talk about later. But once you've decided that, you basically would follow the same sort of process you would for creating a controller in Laravel. So you would do PHP artisan make controller, the name of your controller. Uh, the convention is typically, I think, of the singular name of the object and then the word controller afterwards. So even though your URL might be posts with the mm-hmm. with the plural or invoices, it's the invoice controller. At least right. that's what the documentation normally normally references. Yep. And I try to look to the documentation yeah, to answer that. those questions because I don't want to spend my time thinking about it. Yep, you don't need so the shave. You create your controller as you would normally for a server rendered app. You would add your routes as you normally would. Now in Laravel, they've created a separate routes file for your API routes, which you mm-hmm. can choose to use if you would like. So that would normally be, I think, routes forward slash api.php. Mm-hmm. And all that file does differently from routes forward slash web.php is apply different middleware, mm-hmm. which effectively changes what kind of authentication it's going to use. Um, APIs normally use a stateless authentication rather than stateful, which we can talk about a bit later. Yeah. Um, so you would add your route to your API routes file, pointing it to your controller. Depending on your preference, you may want to define individual routes for your, you know, for your getting of the index collection. So like getting the all of the invoices. And then mm-hmm. you might want to define a separate route for getting an individual invoice. So like the invoices forward slash one, two, three. But Laravel also has a really handy helper called route resource, which automatically registers all the routes you need to do the seven RESTful methods. Yeah. Um, well, it's actually kind of five, but it depends on whether or not you're building an API. If you're building an API, there's actually one called API resource that yep. emits the two UI-specific ones, which are the edit and create, Yeah. because there's update and store, which are the actual ones that do the, do the work, not display the form. Yeah. So you can use the API resource helper. You can tell it if you only want specific methods. So maybe you only want to do the index. Maybe you only want to allow people to get the invoices list and an individual invoice, but you don't want them to update them. So you can tell it to only register the index and show methods of that. 
-hmm. Now, when you've got your controller, if you use Laravel scaffolding to create an API resource controller, so there's a little flag when you say PHP artisan make controller, you can tell it that it's an API controller, you can tell it that it's a resource controller. If you tell it it's both, it'll give you the five methods rather than the full seven. Mm-hmm. And if you're using the route helper, it'll automatically wire it all up together. So it's really little Imagine. code at all. Yeah. And if you tell it which model you're building it for, it'll even type in that in the controller. So it'll automatically through route model binding. I can't remember if we've already talked about it on, on the podcast, but. Yes, we did talk about route model binding. Route model binding. So it'll automatically, if you hit the get route, automatically give you the instance of the object based on the ID using the conventions in the URL. So your yeah. your get method, which I think they, yes, is the show method, mm-hmm. automatically has the invoice that you're accessing ready and available to do whatever you need to do with it to display it. Yeah. And the simplest form of that, you may just actually go return invoice. Yeah. And Laravel will automatically go, oh, you're returning a model from a controller. I will serialize that to JSON for you. Yeah. And it will automatically take the model's array form, which is basically all of the visible properties mm-hmm. um, plus any accesses you've added or appended, as they call it, yeah. and output it for you. So that's kind of the most basic version of that. When you want to throw in things like auth, there's little extra steps you need to take. And if you want to change the shape of your response in different ways, maybe you want to nest things under like a data key to add pagination mm-hmm. and other, thing, other, other bits of metadata to the top level. There's all these other things you can add on later to... Yeah. Take it further and flesh it out and make it more, you know, more, more potentially useful depending on your application. Yeah, that's perfect. So, but but if I wanted to literally just say, no worries about the headers, no worries about all this customization. I just wanted the fastest, nastiest possible API you possibly could. I would basically do the API resource thing in routes. I would make this API and resource controller. It would yep. have the show method type hinted, and so I would literally just go into each of those methods, and the index one would just say return invoice colon colon all. Right, yep. and it would convert it, cast it to JSON. Every single and, invoice, yep. Yeah, and then for show, it would be you know just return the invoice. Uh, of course, store and delete and edit. You'd actually have to do some processing of the user input, and then you'd probably return some simple you know JSON or something like that. And then you're yep. you're up and running. So, yeah. what is the next step to make it less nasty? You just mentioned probably about five things that we could talk about yep. later. Where does your so, brain go next? Well, I guess like auth is probably the the first thing to consider. I mean, if you're dealing yeah. with invoices, you probably don't want them to to be public, publicly accessible. Right. And maybe you're not actually dealing with all invoices. You're dealing with the logged in users' invoices. So you don't right, want right. to return some other customers' invoices. You want to return only the invoices that belong to the logged in user. Right. So in those situations, we use authentication and authorization. So mm-hmm. authentication is probably the best place to start. The difference between authentication and authorization, in case people aren't quite clear, authentication is confirming that you are who you say you are, and authorization mm-hmm. is saying, can you do what you want to do? Yep. So it's so starting with authentication, it's to make sure that you are actually a legitimate user of the platform. It's not yet concerned about what your your roles and permissions are yet. It's just, are you a valid user? Yeah. So in Laravel, we've got quite a few different options for auth, depending on what kind of API you're building. Just to quickly back up a little bit, you might want to create APIs for your first-party applications, but you might be mm-hmm. creating third-party APIs that other people can interact with to you know, get information out. Most big companies tend to have an API, like Facebook has APIs, YouTube has APIs, Twitter has APIs that allow third parties to do cool stuff with their data effectively. Yeah. You can make your own clients for it. You could pull information out to do reporting on it, anything. The, the possibilities are endless. That was kind of what created 
Web 2.0 was APIs yeah. and all of a sudden these like monolith services, you could actually build cool things to interact with them. Yeah. So depending on what kind of API you're building would affect what kind of auth you want to use. I think the most common APIs I tend to build are APIs that will be consumed by an SPA, which is a single page mm -hmm. application. So that's where you've got the front end or user interface of your code is all running in JavaScript on one single page load of the web browser. And as you click through the interface, it's not actually doing a full browser page load. It's all doing it like within the browser. So I think most mm -hmm. people kind of are familiar with these interfaces because when you click something, you don't actually feel like it's a web page. It feels more like an, more like an application. Yeah. So most of the APIs I build are first-party APIs to be consumed by an SPA. Yeah. So in those cases, Laravel Sanctum is probably the best choice for that. For a first-party API, you can actually make them... So let's firstly talk about the difference between a stateful and stateless API. Yes. So with a stateful in general means that on the server, it's maintaining some form of state about the user's session. So when you log in to a normal server-rendered app with Laravel, it starts a session. And this might be stored in a file, it might be stored in Redis, but there's a cookie that references the ID of that session that your browser holds on to. So every time, mm -hmm. so you log in one time, a session is created, and then from every request from then on, you don't have to log in again because you're just passing, you're saying, I'm still on this session, I'm the yep. only one that knows this session. And so the server's maintaining that kind of that logged-in state. Most APIs are stateless. So every single request, you've got to authenticate with as if it was the first request. Right. Um, so whether you're using like token-based authentication or OAuth, any of those things, they're all generally stateless. There's nothing yeah. on the server that remembers, oh, you're logged in. It's just every single time the request comes in, it's like, you know, give me Lord, your credentials. Yeah. 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 So with a first-party app, though, on an, on an a SPA, you can actually still use a stateful API. You can still mm -hmm. use sessions. You can still use cookies because, I mean, this is getting maybe a little bit off topic, but cookies I still think are the best way to transfer tokens when possible. There's mm -hmm. some restrictions in terms of like if you're using different domain names, but if you're on mm -hmm. the same domain name and you can actually pass a cookie around, cookies are the safest because you can make them so that your JavaScript cannot see it but the browser will automatically pass it for you with every single right. request. Yeah. So if you get some malicious JavaScript code running through, you know, an XSS vulnerability, it can't get the token yeah. and make its own requests. So yeah, I like cookies where possible. I think Sanctum kind of implements that by default if you use the SPA authentication. And yeah, you don't generally then have to worry too much about like passing through authentication in all your headers. Yeah. Um, but then there's also OAuth you might want to use. That's probably a bit too much to dig into in the time that we've got because there's, <laughs> OAuth has so many different like types of ways you can use it. I generally find, though, that OAuth is best for third parties mm -hmm. and Agreed. most commonly for when there's two companies and they have a common user and company B wants their user to yep. use something on company A's website. So the best example is maybe people are familiar with is when you do like social sign-in. Mm -hmm. with GitHub or Facebook, when you let your app, basically you're, you're allowing your users to authenticate another app on its behalf. That's really confusing to say. <laughs> I don't really know how to explain this elegantly. <laughs> well, so yeah, so that's, that's a good point. So let's say that I was building, I mean, I built like 10 apps that are all authenticated with GitHub. By GitHub 
setting up OAuth authentication, OAuth authentication on GitHub, it allows yep. me as a client of this GitHub application to allow my customers, who are also their customers, like you're saying, yes. to yep. click a button and say, I want you to share a little bit of information back with Matt's application. That's perfect. And, yep. Yeah, and that it, application, yeah, that information being shared happens over OAuth. Yeah. So I had to register as a client, they had to go sign into GitHub, prove who they are, and then they had yep. to basically approve giving that information over to me. Exactly, it's giving away for you to allow your users to give their data to third parties Mm -hmm. through a secure method that allows them some level of access control and revocability and all those important things. Powerful other, and complicated. Yeah, very powerful. It's Yeah, it's a nightmare. It was one of those things like SOAP. When I first started dealing with OAuth, I didn't understand it. It was, yeah. I didn't see the point of it. Um, and even now, I still, it's not my go-to choice. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tend to use token-based authentication where possible. Um, things like JWTs, which we can talk about later if we want to. Um, and yeah, uh, there's there's other OAuth types for you know machine to machine authentication, but mm -hmm. again, I think tokens generally can do the job. Um, yeah, so. I would I would agree with you on that. Which is OAuth is probably the most robust and powerful option. It's also the most complicated. We do have yeah. um, Passport, which is a Laravel tool that makes it a lot easier to spin up your own yes. OAuth, which is wonderful because I've spun up my own OAuth servers without Passport and with Passport, and Passport makes it way easier. But just because we have that tool does not mean it's the right that OAuth is the right fit. And for yes. especially for people who are just getting started, uh, like Jess said, the majority of the time that you're building APIs, you're building APIs for internal JavaScript consumption. Whether it's an SPA or it's just individual JavaScript or Vue or React components that need a full amount of data and want to interact with it. So start with the simplest possible thing. I love what Jess said. You know, here it's just like stick with tokens. If you are a Laravel person, stick with Sanctum. It's just the easy. It's Sanctum was designed to make it easy for you to use your APIs in, in your internal code without having to worry about all the complexity of OAuth. Like that's the whole reason it exists is just yeah. to allow you to use statefulness, allow you to use sessions, allow you to use the default Laravel auth and just have it authenticate you against your API. So Exactly. I don't think I've actually ever created an app where I needed the users of that app to be able to grant permission to their data to a third party. Mm -hmm. I've definitely created applications that take advantage of someone else providing that mechanism, but I've right. never created something that needs to provide it to someone else. Yeah, um, I have, I mean, but it's been be out there, but yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's it's very very infrequent. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, if you don't, if you're if you're new to this, just don't do it. Just don't do it until you're absolutely yeah. sure it's the thing you need to do, and that's not going to be on. That's not going to be in the it's, beginning of your journey. So it's good to to learn about it so that you know that it is a tool available in your toolbox if you run yeah. into that problem. But yeah. don't go deep on it until you need to. But definitely Agreed. look into the different like grant types of OAuth just so you know what's available because there were some that were designed for like first party auth. But mm -hmm. they tended to be quite problematic because you had client secrets, which you couldn't keep secret in a JavaScript-based application. Yep. Even the machine-to-machine -machine stuff, I think, yeah, generally tokens are probably easier for most situations. Um, it does allow, you know, ways to revoke things and all that. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, yeah you can still do that with tokens anyway. You know, yeah. Yeah. Totally agreed. Okay, so if we were to add auth, the first thing we would just say is just go use Sanctum, learn Sanctum. Yep. You know, we wish we had more time in this podcast, but we don't. So go learn Sanctum. And yep. it's going to just integrate really, really easily. So once you've got your really rudimentary thing where you're just returning models and it's authenticated through Sanctum, and let's just say we got authorization out of the way as well because you use Laravel's built-in ACL. And cool. again, that's not this, that's not the topic of this one, but you all have heard us talk about this access control layer before. I can't remember which episode, but we talked about it. It was the 
one with Joseph Silver about authorization uh, yeah. and authentication. So yeah, so in that one, we talked about authorization. If you haven't heard it, go check that one out. So let's assume you've got your authentication and you've got your authorization built in. What's next? Okay, so when you, if we go back to the controller, if we go back to that index method that was returning invoices all, mm-hmm. now inside that controller, if you've set up your auth, you'll actually have an authenticated user at that point. So instead of returning invoices all, if you've set up the relationship so that your user can have many invoices, you might instead return the authenticated user's invoices, which might just mm-hmm. be using the request helper to get the currently authenticated user and then accessing the invoices relationship on that. On that and then that will only return the invoices that belong to the person that's logged in as opposed to every invoice in the entire system. Again, yeah. it depends what kind of thing you're building as to whether or not you want that, but that's yeah. something that's good to know. Likewise, when you're doing, this is probably something that's actually really easy to forget, is when you, if we look at our existing get method that we had before, the sorry, the show method for doing yeah. the get request, mm-hmm. if we're just returning the type hinted invoice and not actually making sure that the logged in user has access to it, yeah. then you can access anything by its ID. So you can do yeah. what they call like an enumeration attack where you go, oh, my invoice is one, two, three. I'm going to try one, two, four and see if I get someone else's. Yep. So you want to make sure you've got something in there. There's a few ways to do it with Laravel that, you know, I think we've talked about. Yeah. But make sure that the user owns the invoice that you're returning <laughs> yep. is kind of the, the takeaway there's, there. There's some helpers in terms of authorization where if you're using that route model binding, the simplest one, well, this, I don't know if it's the simplest, but the, the most convenient one is to just say, don't authorize the user against the route. And you, there's actually a can middleware where you can decide whether or not they can even see it based on that ID. But it doesn't work on all of them, right? It doesn't work on the index because the index, you're still yeah. going to have to do that same work you did. So even well, if you use, um, well, the thing with the index is if you're only returning what the user has access to, there's no way right. for them to do anything else. They can't pass in a different user's ID. It's only ever yep. going to return what, what belongs to them. But if you're using policies, there is like a view any kind of policy helper that you can yeah. kind of, you know, do little bits and pieces with. But the, the simplest thing for me or my favorite way is a policy. Anytime okay. you're dealing with a with a model or an object. Yep. And in most cases, it might just be, you know, you're returning true if the user, if the invoice ID is equal to the user ID. Yeah. Um, or the invoice again, user ID. Again, it depends ID on what you're building. Yeah, the invoice user ID. Sorry. Yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. That was okay. a little bit of bug right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's safe to say if we're just trying to say code out loud, we're, we're allowed to sneak some bugs in accidentally. Yeah, cool. <laughs> okay, so we've got authorization, we've got authentication, we've got you know just that that same thing you're saying where we're scoping the the the, the data back down. Where mm-hmm. do we go from there? Is it transformation or what? I mean, because I know we can talk about transformers. Yeah. There's two things I really want to hit on. I think the first one I want to hit on is nested resources because okay. I really like these quite a lot. So a nested resource is basically where you might have, say you've got invoices again, to use that as an example, you might Mm -hmm. have payments on an invoice. So if you've got a relationship, normally this is a good signal that you might actually have a nested controller. Uh, So if you've got an invoice and it can have multiple payments, some people attempted to put all of their logic on the invoice controller around those Mm -hmm. payments and they'll end up creating custom method names on there and potentially even custom URL things to deal with that. But yep. I find that the thing that creates the most nice to work with APIs and the thing that to me adheres most closely to the spirit of REST is to nest those resources. So you might have mm-hmm. invoices slash one, two, three slash payments. Yeah. And if you do a get request to that, you're going to get every single payment scoped to that invoice. And again, you've got to make sure that the user has access to that invoice because in that case, even though it's an index method, they are passing in an invoice ID. So you need to make sure it's, it's valid for that. And likewise, if you want to make a payment, you might actually be doing a post request 
to that payments collection. And if you mm-hmm. want to see information about an individual payment, it might be invoices slash one, two, three, slash payments, slash four, five, six. Yeah. And that I get requests to that might, you know, get information about that. And maybe if you need to update the payment, you might do, you know, a put or a patch. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I love and that. It's important to know that you don't need to implement every single method to be restful. If it yeah. doesn't make sense in your business domain to edit a payment, then just don't have don't the route and the method and all that stuff for it. Like and yeah. you know, that will return either a four oh four or a 405 method not allowed, depending on if the URL exists. And we can, yeah. I could probably talk for ages about status codes and the appropriate <laughs> ones. But So that's nested resources. You can define them in Laravel using conventional helpers that you can kind of just say, you know, invoices.payments, and it'll automatically create the routes and know that, you know, to put the forward slash and then the invoice ID and all that sort of stuff in place for you. And the controller you create for that, if you scaffold it using Laravel's tools, the index method will actually have a type hinted instance of the parent. So yeah. in this case, the payments controller will, the index method will actually ha- get type hinted with the invoice that you're accessing. Mm-hmm. So you can then just go return invoice payments as long yeah. as the user can access the payments, of course. Yeah. And it tends to, that to me, that creates the best RESTful APIs when they're, they're grouped and cut it, like they're kind of nested in this way that makes sense. If you needed to access all payments regardless of invoices, you could create a separate a separate route yeah, for just payments yeah. that's not scoped to invoices. But generally, if you're doing things that are scoped, I really like nested resources. I love that. There is there is one pattern that some people use where if they're getting nested resources and they're getting the index of them, it'll be invoice forward slash one, two, three slash payments. But if they only want to access an individual payment, they will flatten it so it's just payments slash and then the number. And Laravel actually has a little, with its route definition, like the route helper, it will actually let you define whether or not you want to do that flattening. I think it, I think they might even call it flattening. Um, okay. But I still prefer to keep everything nested for whatever reason. Me too. I mean, you can end up with some deep nesting of like if the payments have statuses and <laughs> right. like multiple. Yeah. yeah, you can go, you can get too long. And if you're using UUIDs instead of like numeric yeah. IDs, your URLs can get pretty unwieldy and just look ugly. And one of the things I like about REST with like a numeric ID is that the URL communicates exactly what you're going to get and you can yep. see it really, really easily. And you, of course, UUIDs give you the same thing, but it's just, it's just it kind of obfuscates the important see. bits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, I was going to say, because like the good news is that usually when you're building your URLs like this, it tends to be for APIs, right? And so yeah. if it tends to be for an API, you're a little bit less worried about the consumer actually ever seeing it. But still, yeah. there's this developer experience. And if you've got, you know, eight segments of, you know, indenting, each of which, every other which is a whatever, 16 character long or whatever UUID or something like that, it does get yeah. a little bit overwhelming. But the nice thing is, even if you find yourself in that situation in REST, you're going to be able to parse through what's going on, right? Yeah, Because it's exactly. collection ID, collection ID, collection ID, collection or whatever. In, in the end, it's yep. really going to be this very reasonable and rational way of thinking it, which is discoverable, right? Which is whatever, exactly. I forget what the word that you use. But it was it was just it's easy for the, it's intuitive. It's it's easy for someone who comes along to understand what's going on, even if they've never worked in the system. Exactly. You want to you want to be able to make an educated guess and be right. And that's yeah. generally what I strive for with any API is once you get a feel for what it is. I mean, there's times in Laravel where I think I wonder if this exists and I just try it and it, and it, <laughs> and it it's works. There it and just works. Like, and that's one of the things I love about it is that now yeah. that I've kind of got my head fits the way Laravel works, I yeah. can make those intuitive guesses and yeah. yeah, most of the time be right. And if I'm not right, generally that means this might be a good PR. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. If, if I guessed it this way, then I'm probably not the first person to have done so. 
Exactly. Yeah. So that's nested nested resources. In terms of returning responses, I think we want to talk a little bit about transformation. Mm-hmm. The most common way, well, actually, there's a few ways to do it in Laravel. So if you are just returning the model, Laravel will automatically convert it into the serialized version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, under the hood, I think it uses the two array helper to get the array form of the model, which it then converts to JSON. Um, you can use little things on the model to tweak what happens there. So you can append uh, extra mm-hmm. fields if you've got things that aren't actual database fields. So you've got some accesses that are creating like a virtual field. So maybe you've got a first name and a last name column in the database, but in your API response, you just want it to return the full name. You might have an accessor that returns full name and you can mm-hmm. append that accessor to the model's array form or JSON form. Yeah. And you can also hide things. And that's one of the main reasons for the the hidden thing in Laravel is to say, oh, never return the password in the serialized form of this. Even though it's encrypted, it's still not good to give people that. So that's one way of transforming it. You can override the two array method on your model and Mm -hmm. return any array you want, accessing whatever properties you want. You could even pull in properties from a child or a parent relationship if you wanted to, to create whatever representation you think is best for that model. It doesn't have to map to your database structure. Oftentimes, yeah, there's things that make sense in a relational database that when you're talking about the object as a whole to like the consumer, it might not even have a database table associated with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or the database table might have a name that's using Laravel's convention of um, like for for many-to-many relationships Mm -hmm. where it's, you know, the model underscore model. And you might actually have a different name for that, like um, subscriptions, I think is the example Adam Wyvern uses. So you can customize it in the models to array helper, but the other most common way in Laravel is to use API resources, mm-hmm. which are an extra class that Laravel gives you that basically lets you define the JSON version of a model, how it will be represented, including any relationships. So you may, for example, always want to get all the payments with an invoice and you don't want to necessarily have to hit the invoices show method and then also hit the payments route to also get the 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 payments. So Mm -hmm. you may want to actually make it so your invoices route always returns all of the payments for the invoice in that same request, like in a nested, you know, payments and then an an array of all the payments in there. Mm -hmm. So you can define that uh, in an API resource. You can define it in the two array helper as well. There's so many ways of solving these problems, but it just lets you have more control over exactly what response you're returning. Um, Maybe you want to format your dates in a different format for your API response. Mm -hmm. You can kind of tweak that, yes, you know, you'll normally have a carbon instance and it'll normally be serialized in this format, but for this case you need it to be using a different format. So in your API resource you might say the date is this. You might even change the name of it. You might, for your API, it needs to be created at instead of updated at because you're Mm -hmm. integrating with some other third party that doesn't adhere to Laravel's conventions. Who knows? Like there's, there's so many reasons to transform, yeah, to transform what your model is represented as in JSON. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I think one of the things I really so I, I think API resources are fantastic and I'm, I'm a very big fan of transformation in general. And the reason I don't tend to use the, the first ones you described, I'm glad you introduced them, but it's because it there I think there's two big issues with it. Well, there's more than two, but one of them being that it's the, the transformation gets hidden away in some of the model methods. It can do. Yeah. Yeah. And also another one being that like sometimes you want things like a, if you if you make a customization on the model itself, then that will customize the way it returns to array always but sometimes you want it it's to change thing. one way and yeah one way in, in one context and these api resources are very narrowly scoped this is how it's supposed to happen in this one context and you can make more than one api resource for the same model but one exactly. of the things so having built multiple 
custom transformers myself and seen other people at Titan do it. One of the things I love is that API resources, A, they handled nesting of resources within collections without mm-hmm. you having to do any extra work. In yep. it, They just give you that free. And then B, there's a lot of little helpers where you get to do like conditional things. And I can't remember yeah. what the syntax is, but basically like inline as you're defining the return of the When, when the loaded. And, yeah, yeah, you can say only show this if you have eager loaded um, this particular piece of the data before passing this transformer. And so it gives you this really ability to do these much more robust APIs without even knowing ahead of time that you're going to need to or how to do it if you did need to, right? It's just kind of like it's another one of these things where you don't even know you need it, but when you need it, it's just there for you rather than you now having to completely rewrite your custom transformer. Exactly. I think I think there's there's an example that really helps sell it, which I think is if you've got a resource that looks different from a user versus an admin, Mm-hmm. It might an admin might actually be able to see more pieces on mm-hmm. there. You could do in the controller check if they're an admin. Um, you could do it in the resource. There's two ways that you, that you can think about it. You could use a conditional in the one resource and say if they're an admin, show these fields. Or mm-hmm. you could create two separate resources, have the admin yes. representation and the user representation, mm-hmm. and both are valid. Yeah, but. You know, people will have different preferences. And and I quite like the idea of having an admin representation of it. There Mm -hmm. is potentially some double handling. If you add a new field, you've got to remember Mm -hmm. to add it to both if it's supposed to be there. But it's less complex because there's no conditionals Mm -hmm. that are, you know, that's like polluting the whole thing and muddying up what it might actually be. So, yeah. And, you know, this doesn't always work, but sometimes you can also have the admin one extend the user one. Um, Which is true, yeah. And then you basically just use the parent. And so you get the output of the user one and you append stuff onto it for the admin. So, yeah, there's just yeah. so much you could do with them, right? There's just such yeah. powerful tools. So, yeah, yeah, try API resources, people. They're, they're, the they're other an thing, undersold value. Yeah. The other thing they do is when you're using them to provide a collection, they can automatically give you pagination. And they give you pagination in a way that's kind of like is true to like the JSON API kind of way of doing it. So yeah. it adds like... It adds the URLs and everything like to know where to find the next page and what page you're on. And it uses just a standard convention for representing yep. that information. So you haven't got to make up your own. Yep. I always find that the less decisions I have to spend on those things, I can save yep. my decision budget for, you know, things that actually matter to my business yeah. logic. Yeah, exactly. not like what convention I'm using. Like that's what the convention is for is to save my decision budget. <laughs> yep. I love it. I agree. And it, and it was a wonderful surprise when I started doing all that research into REST APIs and just discovered that Laravel's native pagination response and API resources was exactly what all the front end libraries needed, exactly what the spec yep. was. And I was like, that was just a moment of joy. Like, I appreciated that. Yeah. And then you can bolt on like, you know, Spassi's query builder one that adds a few mm-hmm. extra bits and pieces that are all like for sorting, for example, Yeah, that also uses the same convention. Um, yeah. One of the coolest things about that, like small side topic, whenever I used to do pagination, I always used to use two fields. I'd mm-hmm. have like the sort column and the sort direction as two separate uh-huh. inputs. Uh-huh. And the thing I love about JSON API and the thing that, that Sparsi implemented was a single parameter and a minus sign in front is descending. Yes. And having just one column is just so much nicer. But you do need to still work with that and, and parse it yeah. apart, which can be a bit of a pain to implement. But if you've got libraries that abstract that, it's a much more pleasurable thing to work with, I find. I That was literally the, the first thing that sold me on JSON API was that it finally taught me how to do that sorting. Because you'd seen sort by and order or direction in sort or whatever, and everyone had a different way of doing it. And you got these two yep. columns. And now it's just like, oh, it's just a negative at the beginning or not. Or a minus at the beginning yep. or not a minus at the beginning. Why didn't I think of that? Like it's yeah, such better. It's, just, it's so. much more elegant and simple. And yeah, and it's a convention that I can choose rather than yeah. making it my own. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so you said there was two more things. One of them was transforming. Was there another one or did we already get to the other one? So the other one was the nested Right, right, right. Nested, nested resources, yeah. Okay. So we've covered a lot of the big things. I know that we haven't covered all the things that you said we might talk about later, but I wasn't typing them down as you said them. Are there any other kind of like key things before we start moving on to maybe like some common challenges and gotchas that you think people should really understand about what it's like day-to-day write a Laravel API? So I think, I mean, one of the things that I probably, like the resources I refer to all the time is the Wikipedia page on HTTP status codes. Yeah, there are let's a talk lot about of yeah, so there's there's a lot of different websites that tell you about all the status codes. There's some that kind of are specifically dealing with REST. But to be honest, I find the Wikipedia page one is perfect. Hmm. So for anyone that doesn't know, the status codes are what defines like the, the response that your server is returning to the client. So the mm-hmm. common one being 404, being, you know, the thing wasn't found is the one most people know. A successful yeah. response is 200. But there are so many other status codes and they're actually quite meaningful. And some of them even have, um, you know, different implications on how things might be cached and proxied. Yeah. And even just creating a richer API. So like a great example is 201 means created. So mm-hmm. returning 201 when you are doing a post is a nice way to say that something was created. Yeah. Likewise, if you're doing a post that creates something, but that thing doesn't actually get created at that time, say it goes onto a queue to get processed later. There's another one, which is two, uh, sorry, 202, which is accepted. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of you're saying, I've accepted it. I'm going to work on it, but I haven't yet done it yet. Yeah. And the response for a, a 202 might be different than a 201 because the 201, you would typically return the resource that has been created. But right. the 202 accepted, you might not have created it yet. Yeah. So There's another one that's handy that's in, the, in the 200. So anything that starts with like a 2, the 200 series, they're all like mm-hmm. the success happy path Yay. ones. Yeah, exactly. 204 is a good one. It's no content and you're not allowed to return anything in the body of the response if you return a 204. And the thing that's, this is the one I use this for all the time, is deleting. Once I've deleted an, a resource, mm, there's nothing to return. So I yeah. like a 204 for that. It's saying that it was successful status. You don't and there's need a nothing message. to return. Yeah. yeah. So and that's I tend cool to use that the- as, as the signal these codes are standardized. And so like the number of times we have yak shaved over what, you know, what keys should we have in our JSON responses? Should there be a status that has a (laughs) message and then a, then a successful that is true or false. And then maybe a description or whatever. And with these, it's just kind of like, Hey, if it's two or four, you don't need to know anything else. You send a delete command. You got a two or four back. It's deleted. Cool. And you can handle how to process that on your own. Yeah. I love that. 100%. 100%. And then you've got like the 300s, which are mostly to do with redirects. But mm-hmm. if you choose a temporary redirect versus a permanent redirect, that can have caching implications. Yeah. So you want to kind of make sure you choose that, like choose the right one for your, yeah. your application. The 400 series, like 400 on up to 499 are the, the client errors. Mm-hmm. So that's generally when the client who's consuming your API has done something wrong in some sort of a way. So the, the right. 400 is the generic bad request. You know, I don't know how to describe it any better way. Um, yeah. Then you've got like the 401 and the 403 that deal with authentication. Um, the 401 is kind of subtly different in that it's saying you need to authenticate before mm-hmm. I can give this to you. And the 403 is basically saying you're forbidden. You've already tried to authenticate. Yeah, maybe you, yeah, maybe you authenticated and you got your password wrong. Or maybe you're authenticated but you don't have permission. Yeah. So there's a subtle difference. And the way that browsers will handle this can also potentially be different. Um. 404, again, is, you know, not found. Um, 409 conflict is a really interesting one. If you do something where, like, two people edit the same record or there's just some reason you can't update something because there's been a conflict, yeah, Yeah, 409 is kind of cool. 422 is a common in Laravel with the unprocessable entity, Mm -hmm. which Laravel is kind of, 
I don't know if it was ever meant to be used for necessarily for validation, but like I think Laravel kind of pioneered that and it's become really popular. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know if Laravel was the first one to do it, but I feel like they're I the main one so, to use I think so because I think I remember reading a whole thread about it and people are like, in this framework, Laravel did it and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I was like, oh, cool. Look at us being all famous. Yeah. Like it existed before, like, you know, unprocessable entity, mm-hmm. but I think the idea of using it as a validation um, error status code was, yeah, it was potentially something Laravel did. And then the 500 ones are the server errors. They're generally mm-hmm. the unexpected things. It's very rare that I will deliberately return a 500 yeah. type mm-hmm. error. It's like if something on my end has gone wrong, it's a 500. There are yeah. some that mean different things. Like if your site is down for maintenance, I think 503 is the, mm-hmm. I think 503 is the common one to Sounds use for right, that. but I don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, and they they can all have implications on um, on uh, caching, like with proxies and all that sort of stuff. And with and the same with the HTTP verbs. Another yeah. thing I wanted to touch on was uh, like when to use different types and the concept of um, idempotence, which is one of my favorite words. Good. Which basically means when you do an action, it has a side effect, but every time you repeat that action, the the side effect is the same as the first time it happened. Yeah. So in HTTP, a put and a patch request are supposed to be idempotent. So mm-hmm. when you edit a record, if I update an invoice to say that it's paid, if I do that the first time, it changes it to paid. The second time I do it, it doesn't actually change anything. Nothing else yeah. on the server is different. I can yeah. run it 100 times. It's the same result every time after the first time. Yeah. Nullipotent, I don't know how to pronounce these properly, is when there's no side effects. Mm-hmm. So things like a GET request. A GET request generally shouldn't do anything on your database or on your mm-hmm. server. It shouldn't actually have any side effects. Um, GET requests are often cached, so you shouldn't expect yeah. that every time someone does a GET request, it might actually reach your server. It might be yeah. um, done in the middle. And also GET requests generally aren't protected by CSRF protection. So if you're you know, using a GET request to update something in your database, it's potentially a security vulnerability. Yeah. And then the post ones, there's not really a word that I hear people like, you know, like for like null impotent and, mm-hmm. and idempotent, but I think omnipotent is really the <laughs> probably the correct word to use for a post like request. It. And that's when every time you do the action, the side mm-hmm. effect will happen again. So uh-huh. if you are posting an invoice to an invoices collection, you post this data about the invoice and then you do it again, you'll have a second yeah, invoice invoices. with the same data yeah. as the first one, yeah. a different ID probably. But yeah. so yeah, that's kind of the difference there. And the subtle difference, I think, between put and patch is around whether or not you're putting in a brand new copy of it to the same ID, though, or whether you're just patching just, you know, just the status. Mm-hmm. Um, in Laravel, I don't think there's much of a distinction, and you can pretty much, I think people do whatever they want. It's just generally yeah. known. This is the one for editing. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's usually thrown around put and patch as almost if it's a one word because we yeah. seldom differentiate them. So Exactly. So, yeah. And I think for most practical purposes, it doesn't really matter for those yeah. like between put and patch, which ones you're doing, at least in um, most Laravel applications. So understanding status codes, I think, is really important to return the most appropriate one for the situation and to mm-hmm. not get too creative with them either. Mm-hmm. If you return a 404, um, it ideally should be because the resource in the URL is not found. Yeah. If you if your user, like if someone's logging in, the user's not found, you probably wouldn't return a 404 for that because the URL for login yeah, it's still working. It's it's, just yeah, that, the, U- yeah, the URL exists. That path exists, but you've done something else to it that's not valid. So that in that mm-hmm. case, the 401, 403 is more appropriate. So 404, I would encourage people to really save it for when the model that's directly referenced in the URL. Mm-hmm. If you're pulling in other models and they're not found, returning 404 doesn't always make sense. And that can actually create things that are confusing because you're like, that's in there. That's no, in that the database. That's definitely there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
but it's because some middleware is checking whether you've got a subscription mm-hmm. and that, and you're using find or fail instead of yeah, find yeah. and not handling it with something else that's more descriptive of the problem. So yeah. I think that's a pretty good distinction. And the only other thing was to talk about was the um, the headers. And the okay. two main ones are probably, sorry. Can we pause for just a second? Yeah. I want to do a real quick recap on the last two that you just said. So, Go for because it. I think, so we talked about <laughs> the status codes. So, yeah. 200 means yay, success. All good. Yep. You know, 300 means go away, go somewhere else, right? Redirects. Yeah. <laughs> 400 means you're bad, right? Like yeah. you, you as a user end up something. And then 500 means my bad, like my server is messed up in some way, shape, or form, right? And like just Generally, to a new yeah. programmer, like if you ever see a 500 error on your server, the, the first thing in your mind should be, I wonder how I can find the stack trace. Because if you've got a 500 error on a Laravel application, 99 times out of 100, that's you're only seeing the 500 plainly because your debugging is turned off. It's either because you're in production or because your local app is doesn't have this um, app underscore debug environment variable set to true. So if you yeah. can, if it's not in production, just set that thing to true. And what you should get instead of just like a blank 500 error page is you should get a full stack trace because there's something wrong in the server. And in PHP, it's almost always just like a PHP error. There's a syntax error or an exception that got thrown or something like that that didn't get caught. And so Laravel is going to do this thing where it just says, hey, we're in production. I don't want to show these people the problem. I'm just going to tell them, hey, there's a 500 error. So for you as a new programmer, if you see a 500 error, what you should think is something's wrong in my code somehow, somewhere, some shape. So, 100%. I totally agree. I think generally 400 error wouldn't actually trigger an exception and be logged or anything. Mm-hmm. But a 500 error is normally, I mean, unless you're using like maintenance mode or something, 500 error is normally, yeah, there's actually an error. It should have been logged. There'll be an exception, all that sort of stuff. Yep. And then, so the other one was the verbs. So get means show me a thing and shouldn't have yep. any impacts. Uh, I love the point you made about cacheable. It should be able to be cached. And so imagine that like all of your, like whatever happens in any of your methods that are meant to be called by get, you should believe that an end user may not actually trigger those methods being called because of the cache, right? Mm-hmm. So the first user every hour triggers that method. And then the remaining users for the remainder of that hour just get the the cache delivered by varnish or whatever else. And so that's that's a really great kind of yeah. reason why you were saying that. You know, and they could, yeah. you know, that even if that even if you have a cache set up, it's a good way to think about it. Git requests yeah. can be cached and they're not secure. So and if if anyone's not familiar with CSRF, it's cross-site request forgery where basically another site pretends to be you and sends requests to your server. And so yep. like Jess was saying, Laravel is going to protect your non-Git routes from cross-site request forgeries. They're not mm-hmm. going to protect your Git routes, which is why your Git routes shouldn't be doing anything that could actually potentially exactly. get hacked. Okay, so we've got Git, which is for showing stuff. We've got post, which is for creating stuff. We've got delete, which is for deleting stuff. And we've got put and patch, which were for editing stuff. Patch, is, I think I see more commonly being basically here's an ID and here's the fields I want to change, right? Yeah. Whereas I think put seems a little bit less common, which tends to be here's an ID and here's the entire replacement of that resource. So Agreed. If, yeah. if all else fails and you need to make an edit, do a patch. And along with the patch, you basically are going to be patching to the ID, like to, to the URL, which contains the ID. And so then yep. you've already sent the ID along. So now all you need to pass along is what things do you want to be different? And you don't have to, anything hasn't changed, you don't have to send along to a patch. So that's the most common edit. Perfect. That, okay. There is one more, which is options. 
and there's options. A few, there's, there's also a head, but... but yeah, yeah. There's, so, I, I'm, so I meant to say there's quite a few more, but usually <laughs> the only other one you will see is options because a lot of JavaScript frameworks... Oh, so yeah, let's talk JavaScript for a second. One of the reasons why these HTTP status codes are wonderful is because they do such a great job of communicating clearly using a standard what something's yeah. going on. But one of the other reasons is that lots of existing packages, whether JavaScript or PHP, have automatic built-in responses when they get the, the certain HTTP status codes that you may not know are even there. And so, True. for example, a lot of these things, if they send in something and they get a certain type of error, they'll actually have a conditional inside the JavaScript package or whatever that says, oh, this failed, instantly pass it to the error handler instead of the whatever handler. So if you've ever used like Axios and you're doing yeah. like a request and you can do like the success, success handler or the error handler, it knows it's an error based on the HTTP status code. And so you exactly. can be passing this useful information onto the consumers who may not even know that you did it that way by just changing the HTTP status code that you're giving them back. So there's so much value that comes out of using those. So, but talking about the endpoints, so, so talking about options for a second, could you just, and if you don't have the answer for this, that's fine, I'll, I'll throw one out. But when would somebody commonly see options? Because I see it a lot in JavaScript. Is, is that kind of your thinking of it too? Where they're trying to yeah, fetch it ahead so of time? Options generally, <clears throat> I've seen a lot more lately since cause became a thing. Mm -hmm. And it's normally sent as, they call it like a pre-flight request. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just checking to see what it can do. It's basically saying what options are available to me. And generally that's when you'll get your cause errors because it does the options request and the things like you can't even, you can't do, you can't do anything. Yeah. And that, so that gets rejected. And then it never even goes and actually makes the request that it was, you know, the, the post or the get or whatever it wanted to do. So that's where I've seen it a lot more recently. You'll, you'll typically see like your API requests will be an options followed by the post. Yep. Like this exactly. little pair of them that happens like, you know, within a split second of each other. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's kind of the intent of it is what what options are available to me. Um, it's not something I ever implement myself. Same. It's something that just kind of happens like the browser is doing it and Laravel is handling it effectively. Yeah. And, and I love, well, so first of all, Usually options is just telling you what verbs you have, right? It's not, there's any, not any other option it's passing back, right? I don't think so. There, there may be other headers. It's okay. like I said, it's not something I ever have Same here. needed yeah. to like deep dive yeah. into. <laughs> yep. I've never programmed it the JavaScript side and I've never programmed it in the PHP side because Laravel does it for me. But I do know that you're you're 100% right, which is that almost every single time I've ever seen options, it's because something said, hey, I'm trying to send an options request. And instead of getting an options response back, I'm getting this weird thing. And the weird thing was always a cores error of some sort. But the thing, yeah. so it was like a misdirection, right? Like it made me think and the other, or the people I was helping think, oh, there's some options thing, which I never even programmed. I don't even understand. Yeah. So it's like this, and what was in reality, it was cores. It was, you know, and if anybody doesn't yeah. know, it's yet another security thing, cross-origin request scripting or whatever, which is just another place of people potentially being able to hack you, Laravel saving your butt. But if your yeah. cores is not configured correctly, then you're going to get this options error. So the simplest thing to say with options is if you see an error around options when something is is hitting your Laravel API, the first place to look is, is this a cores error? That's 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 enough for me 100%. for now. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And okay. it's normally, I think it's normally the browser that sends the option request. So not even the JavaScript. That's, that's browser, right. I was like, I don't know think it was the JavaScript. Yeah. Yeah. And it depends on the conditions of the request. So it really depends on if it meets certain criteria and it, mm -hmm. it considers it, I think, I think they use the word like a complex request, then okay. it will be a cause request. So simple gets with no extra fancy headers often don't mm -hmm. run into cause problems. Yeah. But it's when you start doing other things that like trigger it to go into cause mode. 
Yeah. And yeah, it's it's something I don't know off the top of my head, but I know that I've run into it before. <laughs> yep. Same here. All right. So I interrupted you or you were about to go into something else, but I just want to make sure we covered those ones. Yeah. Quickly, so. so I don't want to like take up too much of everybody's time because I, I could talk this about this stuff, stuff for, for hours this and hours. So the other thing is, is content types, except headers, mm-hmm. headers yeah. in general. The most common headers I think that I probably use in terms of like implementing things myself is the accept header and the content type header. Mm-hmm. So these are kind of like, uh, I feel like these are like a pair of headers. Yeah. So like the content type is what describes what the body of is, is in the message that's being sent or received. And the accept is basically what you'll send in your request to the server saying, this is the formats I will accept. Yeah. So a typical web browser, I think, sends like asterisk to say, I'll accept anything. Yeah. And most things will send back, okay, cool, I'm going to give you HTML. Yeah. Um, I think they actually send like asterisk and then comma text slash HTML. They okay. use these like mime types, which are always generally something slash something. So like text slash HTML, text mm-hmm. slash plain, application slash JSON, all these different. Yeah. Um, and I can never remember exactly if it's a forward slash or a backslash. But when I type I it, my forward, muscle memory knows it. Yes, same here. Yep. <laughs> so these can be quite powerful. I mean, you don't need to worry about them when you're just starting out. A lot of the time things will happen automatically for you in Laravel. When you're sending stuff with Axios on the front end, if you're doing stuff with JavaScript, it'll normally specify the headers for you. Mm-hmm. And but what's really cool, though, is that if your application throws an exception, say a model can't be found or something goes wrong, Laravel's exception handler will actually customize the response mm-hmm depending on the accept header. Yeah. So if your web browser is sending its standard, I can accept anything I'm a web browser, then Laravel says, okay, cool, I'll give you the HTML error message. And yeah. if you've got debug mode on, it'll have the stack trace. If not, it'll just be like, you know, whoops, something went wrong, whatever they're using these days. Yeah. But if you've sent through that you will accept JSON, and that's kind of the priority, like the thing that's first is like the priority. So if you're saying accept application slash JSON, Laravel goes, this response wants JSON. And that's the wording it uses. The yeah. request object in Laravel has a method that says wants JSON, which you can use yourself. And it's very yeah. powerful. Yeah. But the exception handler says, does this response wants JSON? I'll give them a JSON version of the exception. And again, if you've got debug on, it'll have more fields. Like it'll have the exception and the stack trace in JSON form instead of HTML form. Yeah. But yeah, accept is a really cool header. Some APIs don't work properly if you don't send it. So you might, if you've used Postman with some APIs, sometimes you yep. have to add accept application JSON, otherwise you'll only get HTML. Yep. Um, Laravel tends to be a little bit cleverer and I gen- tend to find I don't always need to specify it. Mm-hmm. Um, content type is sometimes less useful. It's often in the return to say that what I'm returning is JSON. Yeah. But one little trick that I've really enjoyed doing lately is if I've got a resource that I can represent in multiple formats, so maybe I can mm-hmm. represent it in HTML, JSON, and PDF, Yeah, you could create separate URLs for all of that. But to make them RESTful requires some naming gymnastics that I'm generally yep. not too comfortable with. <laughs> yep. So I tend to prefer to use the accept header to say mm-hmm. that, so it's the one URL, invoices slash one, two, three, and I can say I want the HTML version. So I can send the accept header to say accept HTML. And in my controller or in my response, wherever I want to put it, mm-hmm. I can use the request helpers to say, does this want HTML? Does it want JSON? Does it want PDF? Once PDF doesn't exist in Laravel, but using macros, you can create a wants PDF. So you can have your code to be super expressive to say, if request wants PDF, and then you can do whatever you need to do to return the PDF version of that and Mm -hmm. set the content type of a response to be application slash PDF so that the browser kind of knows what it's dealing with and can, depending on how you're using it, even render it for you. Mm -hmm. So... 
accepting content types, super important. They're always there doing things, but you don't have to interact with them normally, but you can. And when you can, you unlock lots of cool power. Yeah. And it's, it's another one of those things where sometimes we're getting the freedom. We're getting it for free without realizing it, like the whole thing you mentioned yes. with Laravel's sniffing it. But also sometimes when we use it, we get other things for free that we didn't expect because some other things are reading, some other packages you're using on the front end or the back end are potentially reading or sending those those headers. And so if you know to use them and read them, you might actually unlock, like you said, a whole bunch more potential interactions with the other packages and services and exactly. everything you're using. And there's, yeah. no, there's no magic with it. Like if you specify that you want JSON, there's nothing magic that's going I'll automatically format this. Laravel is mm-hmm. is intercepting that and saying, okay, I'm going to return a JSON version of this. It's doing it mm-hmm. for you, but it's still, yeah, it's nothing in the spec There's that's saying that it has yeah. to do it in a certain way. It is implemented, mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah, you don't often have to so, deal with it. Moment of shame for me. Uh, okay. <laughs> sometimes I'm feeling lazy and I don't do that. And instead what I do, and I actually did this in a project just last week, is I just say, I'm trying to remember what project I did it in. I, I don't know if it's open source or not. But I did just, there's like the endpoint, then there's endpoint dot, like I literally did dot JSON. So that's not a bad option. It's like an old school way of doing it, it's right? It's an old school it's, way of doing it, yeah. It feels like it's like a file extension, right? So yeah, it's like exactly. invoices.html, invoices.pdf, or whatever. Yeah, so and I literally built an API controller for it. And there's the API controller that serves the .json endpoint. And there's the non-API controller that serves the HTML endpoint. And in this particular application, there's a reason why I made it two controllers rather than serving it with the same endpoint. But I just mapped yep. those routes differently. And I was just like, yeah. Thing dot, things.json goes here, things goes here, and cool. And it was, I was like, you know, because I, I haven't done that since, I think, like, Rails, maybe? Um, okay. And Rails definitely did that for a bit, and Adam is, was the one who showed, showed me that, that they did it so robustly. But I, I was just like, this is kind of nice. It's very transparent. It's very obvious yeah. what I'm doing here. Nobody's ever going to miss it. And it was just so fast to program. But I do think that headers are fantastic. And I do thing, think they're a really great way to do it. The other thing to remember is that headers are hard to send if you're just using your web browser, you can't put headers when you're yeah. typing in the URL in a browser. Whereas with that approach, you can. So if you need to direct a user like in, in the web browser to that URL rather mm. than JavaScript doing it, because JavaScript, you can send whatever headers you want. But if it's just yeah. a URL, someone clicks on and it goes there, you can't you, control the headers of that. Your browser will always send, I accept anything. Yeah. So in those cases, a dot whatever is actually probably the best way to do it. Yeah. And which in you know dot json is unlikely to be something where you redirect the user to, but dot pdf could be. So exactly, yeah. Okay. So cool I idea. think I think it's perfectly acceptable. There's there's so many ways of doing it, and if there's yeah, if the HTTP spec allows or has something built in to do it, I will default to that. Mm-hmm. But you know these aren't these aren't rules that you know you can't ever break. They're just guidelines that you should follow. Yeah. I mean, some of them you shouldn't break. Yeah. There's certain there's certain headers that if you try and use them creatively, you can actually break things so yeah if you do get creative with certain headers just know that yeah certain proxies and caches might interpret those in certain ways and Mm -hmm. do certain things that you might not want (laughs) yeah and that's why like you keep saying like conventions are conventions so that we don't waste all of our time screwing around and sometimes all we've done is save ourselves time sometimes we've saved ourselves pain because when other people are following those conventions and we don't follow them then we run into trouble so yeah yeah. i think the, the worst example i ever did was when i wanted to return a base64 encoded version of a PDF. Mm-hmm. I tried to get tricky with the, I think it was the encoding header mm-hmm. to specify that it was base64 encoded because I'm like, mm-hmm. that sounds like it's right. But the way that I think, I don't know if it's proxies or browsers, the way something interprets that heading was not what I intended. So I ended up, I think, 
you know, there's like when you've got a data URL, you can say like application PDF and then comma, I think base 64. Yeah. I ended up using that as the MIME type. I don't know how valid that is. Maybe I should just return that the content type is a string, like, you know, text plain, right, I think right. is the one. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I like that. And it's it's interesting because like the those we, there's even and we're not going to go here because we're already an hour and a half in. But there are, <laughs> if someone were to want to nerd out, even within those content types, there's there's subtypes and vendors and stuff like that. So like yeah. JSON API has a subtype of the application JSON slash JSON thing. Yep. And you can say this isn't just JSON. This is JSON according to this particular vendor spec. So there's you exactly. could go very far down that road if you weren't trying to wrap up a podcast on time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and there's a lot of stuff it, you can go there. So Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it has actual practical uses. Mm-hmm. Other times browsers are like, yeah, they, they kind care. of treat them yeah. all the same. So yeah, for sure. It really depends okay. on your application because the consumer isn't always a browser. So yeah. And I have found that when I'm using PHP to consume other APIs, I'm really grateful for headers and status codes more than when I'm yeah. using anything else because yeah. I think that in PHP, I'm not a browser. I don't have all those conveniences built in for how to think through it. And so I'm like, give me some more information. And I'm really grateful when they have actually built in you know, yeah, more robust returns and headers and all that kind of stuff. So There's nothing worse than an API that returns a 200 when there's been an error oh because God. you can't use like, you know, Axios will mm-hmm. pass that to the success handler. Laravel's yep. new HTTP client won't, you know, treat that as an error. It'll, you know, that's that's not client error or server error or error. That's a success response. So yep. if you've got to pass a 200 and dig into it and go, oh, this was actually a failure, yep. that's not an API I want to work with. <laughs> yep. No, we, we are actually just about to sunset an integration we did with an API like that that also, it's so funny because we made fun of it so much because one of the things it also made us do is write Microsoft SQL in the URL. And we were always just kind of like laughing. Ouch. And then that's sort of like what GraphQL is a little bit, you know, like it's not in the URL. And so we always made fun of it. We're like, yeah, they're literally having us pass them SQL queries. And now I'm kind of like, oh, that's that's kind of the hot new thing now. We probably shouldn't have made fun of it yeah. so much. But they Are did they also like, encode their errors as like 200 okay. and stuff like that. So they like made SQL other mistakes. injection is the first thing that comes to yes. mind when I hear yeah. SQL in the It's URL. not very safe. So... <laughs> Okay, so we are pretty late in this. So obviously this one's not following the normal structure of the podcast, and that's fine. We talked about this ahead of time that we wouldn't. But I do want to ask the quick question of common challenges and gotchas. If I am just getting started with building RESTful APIs in Laravel on day one, are there any things that you want to make sure that I don't get stuck on or things you you see people tend to have trouble with? No, I think I probably covered them, making sure that, you know, the authenticated user actually has access to return the thing, Um, especially if you're refactoring from no auth to auth, you know, Mm -hmm. all those, yeah, there's little things. I find that I like to TDD or test-driven development my APIs. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. Yeah, totally. So I tend to do Adam another Adam Wyland term, which is programming by wishful thinking. I don't know if he invented it, but I heard it from him. Yep. where I will write in my test, I'll actually write the API response I want my server to return because that's how I experiment how it feels to use it because yeah. I can write the URL, I can write the payload and go, is this going to be nice to work with? And then mm-hmm. the test helps me. I run the test, it fails, of course, and then it's like, okay, now you need to go create the routes and the controllers and do this transformation and whatever else to get that shape of data. Yeah. And I can test all my sad paths really easily. It's much harder to test some of those um you know like in real life to simulate them so yeah i test drive everything a lot of people like to use tools like postman and insomnia and httpy to do their api requests like to to integrate to sorry to interact Mm -hmm. with the api i tend to find i just use tdd in laravel 
Yeah, because that way when I, it's like it's always there. It's part of the code base. I know with Postman you can save these things and run them, but I just want it in my code in PHP. It's yeah, and it, it takes a while <laughs> to set it up in Postman, right? Like you get your configuration right, you get your headers right, all that kind of stuff. You test it, it looks the way you want, and you can yeah. save them, but it's but do that exact same amount of work to build the request and look at the response in your test, and now yeah. you've got a test, yeah. right? That's I mean, going to stick the, around forever. The Postman one is making an actual HTTP request as a mm-hmm. third party, whereas the TDD, it's kind of simulating requests. So there are yeah. subtle differences, but from a practical point of view, I don't think I've ever been bitten by that. So Yeah. And one other thing to think about as we talk about um, writing tests is that a test is a really great place to remember to catch all those access and authorization errors. So if you just try to beat it in your brain, I'm going to test my APIs. And one of the things I'm always going to test is to make sure that I can't access somebody else's thing. I can't delete somebody else's thing. Yeah. I can't see somebody else's thing in the list. You know, just just get out. That's something you just need to do. I, and I so write that those will help tests you. first. <laughs> yep, exactly. Get those go, as your first thing. So they're all going to be read. And then you that's that's going to be a trail for you to follow to figure out how to adjust your, your authorization and your scopes and everything like that. So that's not an issue exactly. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree with that. Okay, so is there anything else you'd like to talk about on this topic? I feel like I had something, but then I've forgotten it, so too bad, okay. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If you if you message me later, I'll throw it in the show notes. Otherwise, everyone should just follow you on Twitter anyway, uh, Jess Archer Codes, uh, and we'll talk about other plugs uh, in a second, and then I'm sure you'll tweet it out there. So, okay, if someone wanted to learn more about building APIs, whether in Laravel or in general, or even the higher level concepts of APIs, as you described them earlier, not just web APIs, where would you turn them to learn? So it's pretty a pretty broad topic, as we've sort of discussed. I mean, you can kind of look at the Wikipedia definitions, but those are always tend to be pretty technical when you get uh-huh. to computer science sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Laracast, obviously, is going to be one of the best places to learn anything. Mm-hmm. Um Adam Wyland has a lot of great courses and even just free material talks. There's been mm-hmm. so many Laracon talks. You had that amazing, you know, Laravel JSON API talk at Laracon. Um, I was so excited when you did that and I saw what the topic was. I'm like, yes, I can't wait to see this one. Because <laughs> it's something that I've struggled with as well. I mean, I don't want to mm-hmm. go deep on it, but like trying to implement JSON API truly in Laravel is not mm-hmm. as easy as you would like it to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's... I mean, in terms of like the nested resources, Adam Wyland has a, a, it was a talk called Cruddy by Design. Mm -hmm. And I think that really, really explains the most elegant way to do RESTful in my mind and to do Mm -hmm. nested things um, and how to stick to the, you know, the the five RESTful methods. So I would Mm -hmm. encourage everyone to watch Cruddy by Design. It's something I I share all the time with with people. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Anything Adam does somehow, even if it's not about this, tends to leak out like teachings about this you know yeah. like even even adam's testing course you're going to learn a lot about it about apis and http yeah. yeah and even the 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 talk he did the test driven laravel talk that inspired the course like yeah they all kind of go through a lot of those sort of same ways of thinking so yeah and one of the things i learned most from adam and i think i talked about this in the testing episode with him is that you can do robust testing of user interactions when instead of testing, they clicked the form and did the thing, you test the HTTP response and then the, the result you get back. And that's true not even just in, in, in APIs, right? And so a lot yeah. of the stuff we're talking about in terms of testing APIs is really true about testing all you know, calls, it, which lines up again with what you're saying about the begin, at the beginning, which is that an API is not just a web API. It is just two things yeah. interfacing with each other, two computers talking to each other. So it all comes around. The other thing circle. actually... 
I did want to say just on testing real quick is that oftentimes when you're writing an API, the consumer of the API isn't in that code base mm-hmm. and your tests, your full test suite can't actually involve that software. Mm-hmm. So in that case, for me, my tests are actually representing the consumer of the API. Mm-hmm. And so they, I try and make them treat it as a black box for the most part of obviously the mm-hmm. setup, you know, sometimes need to seed things. But for the most part, if something is going to break in a way that the front end, for example, will break if it's in a separate repository, I want the test to be there to catch that first yeah. because it's yeah. it's almost like the bodyguard for the front end to say, hey, no, you've changed that and the yeah. front end is not expecting that. So This is the contract we promised and I'm going to make sure yeah, you continue fulfilling yeah. it. There are other things you can do with like API Blueprint and Swagger mm-hmm. and all these things that can help you define contracts and adhere to them. But I still find that a test at the end of the day is often just the simplest thing for most yeah. applications. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so if personal fun moment before we give a plug. So you, at the beginning of your talk at Laracon AU, I'm actually going to, and it's also on your website, so I'm going to go pull it up in okay. your website so I can read it correctly. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> there's a particular phrase that you used exactly on your website and exactly in your Laracon AU talk where you said, I've worked on some pretty interesting projects, including a chemical warehouse management system, a POS system, it wasn't exactly the same, a telephone yep. robot, a crypto trading robot, even software for the police. And you, you talked about finance in the, at the, the Laracon talk. So... I feel like there's a lot of interesting things there. I kind of would assume that like, well, chemical warehouse has chemicals, but it's probably actually not as interesting. It seems just because in the end, it's just like any other warehouse point of sale system. So with of these a crypto trading (laughs) robot, like I feel like one of these has got to be the wildest and most interesting. And I would assume probably crypto trading robot, but I'm not going to make that assumption. They're all of those, really interesting. I know. What can you tell us? One really interesting story or thing you learned or something like that out of one of these wildly interesting things okay. that you built. So, real quick on the chemical warehouse thing, it's not the interesting one, but it was designed to run on a laptop, like one of those Panasonic Toughbooks that sat in a forklift. Okay, and that is interesting. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah, it would give them the layout. It would like it was basically for them to catalog where the chemicals oh, were, and then mix, okay. they would mix them and create new chemicals, all that sort yep. of stuff. That was really okay. fun. Cool. Very long time ago, pre-Laravel. Yeah. Um, the crypto trading robot is not actually that exciting. I mean, crypto exchanges all have APIs. Um, it was kind of designed around this idea of arbitrage where you can like find the same thing for two prices at one place. And if there's a big enough difference, you can buy it in one place, transfer it and sell it. Yeah. yeah. And it would like spy for all those things. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. Um, the... The pod system is pretty boring. It was touchscreen though. So like, you know, you okay. just put a JavaScript to the touchscreen and it had like mm-hmm. when you print, it opened the cache drawer. So I had a receipt oh, cool. printer triggered from a web browser. Nice. Um, the software for the police is really, really interesting, helping um, police send referrals for people people in need. Oh, cool. Um, that was needed to be very, very sensitively handled. It was a lot of victims mm-hmm. of domest- domestic violence getting yeah. referrals. So making sure referrals never got lost, all these like multiple redundancies. Yeah. Super, super critical. And that was um, all web-based as well. They were using it on their laptops and their... Yeah, l- laptops and iPads. Okay. Um, yeah. But the telephone robot is probably my favorite one. Okay, tell us about it. So I was contacted by Australian Marriage Equality a long, long time ago who were getting, they had got a bunch of money from Ben and Jerry's to do this campaign called Equality Calling. And basically it was set up where people would ring a phone number, they would enter their postcode so that it could determine who their local politicians were, Uh and then they would record a voicemail, a message of support for marriage Uh equality. Yeah. 
And so then this robot would, so it was a phone robot where it was, yeah. you know, press one, do all this sort of stuff. We mm-hmm. got, we had a celebrity here record the all the voice recordings. Oh, cool. And it was all done with like, um, I think it's like Twilio. Is the yeah, I was going to ask if it was Twilio. Sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. Twilio's the best. And so then every morning it would ring these politicians' offices. <laughs> <laughs> and just play back the recordings. Yeah, it was like an answer machine. It's like you uh-huh. have, you know, five messages of support for marriage equality. Press one to hear them. And we had things in there so they could opt out of it so that, you know, because we uh-huh. had some, you know, some hateful some angry people. Yeah. politicians. <laughs> um, but it had all systems of like, you know, press one to recall back in 10 minutes or press one to snooze until tomorrow. You know, like all these different yeah. options. That's so And cool. so all these little code paths it got to do and just recording them. If the person consented to their message being tweeted, it would upload it to SoundCloud and then tweet automatically tweet oh, a link to their cool. recording online. And if when they were doing the recording, it's like, you know, press whatever to mm-hmm. if you would like to share your recording publicly. Yeah. Um yeah, it was it was so much fun to work on and That's it was just amazing. crazy having this little robot that people were ringing up and then at the start of each day it would just ring the opposite. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, we we recently had a project that was a public good project and it's in Chicago and my business partner, Dan was like, it's very weird to be hearing radio advertisements every day for this thing we worked on because it's, yep. it's like, I imagine you had that similar experience, right? Where you're like, everybody, you know, is seeing the advertisements for this little tool that you built. Right. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, that's ah, so cool. Have you, have you heard of Jimmy Barnes? Uh-uh. The singer? He's no. a famous Australian singer. He promoted this thing like oh, on cool. TV and stuff. Yeah. Like the phone number like, for I, everything. I built that. And I, I made that. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that awesome. was like, I think that was like Laravel 4.3 maybe. Oh, it was on Laravel. Very cool. Yeah. It was my first Laravel project I ever did because it was one I was doing as a side project. So mm-hmm. the place I was working at the time was all WordPress and I'm like, I want to play with Laravel. Yeah. I've heard so much about it. And yeah. Wow. And That's I was incredible. given an excuse to play with it. So yeah. I like it. Um, I was almost going to ask you about music and motorcycles, but I had to ask about these ones instead because I'm just I was so enough. interested in that. So, OK, cool. So what can we plug? People should follow you on Twitter. Uh, yep. What else? Je- at Jess uh, Archer Codes, right? Jess, Jess Archer Codes on yep. Twitter. My website is JessArcher.com. I don't have any products, really. I mean, I've got Gifty Duck. If you want to go and see an example of how I build an a yeah. SPA with an API behind it, you can go to GiftyDuck.com and register for that completely free. Um yeah, but I don't base really code have podcast. any. Oh, Best Code Podcast. Yeah, definitely check Go out watch the Best your code, code Podcast. Talk, yeah. well, so we'll, J-Mac we'll and I, we kind of do little mini series on different topics. We're doing testing and streamlining code in Laravel. We kind of mm-hmm. do like six episodes at a time, then take a break. Um, and yeah, two Laracon talks under my belt now, which I still can't believe I've done. <laughs> yeah. And you killed it, man. You're a great speaker. You're, Thank you, you. You present, uh, as as a conference speaker, you present that same way I was telling you earlier where you feel like you're a college professor, but not in like the boring <laughs> way. Just in like okay, you cool. just, you explain these things very robustly. And I'm like, I feel a little intimidated because I feel like I'm like a college student when I give talks. Okay. I'm like, and then that was really fun. Like, 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 you know, <laughs> whereas you're like very composed. So anyway, go check Thank out you. Jess's talks. Go check out her podcast. Go follow her on Twitter because she's great. I I did not know that you would only join Twitter after Laracon AU the first year. That blew my mind because I yep. just like in my mind, you kind of like did a little bit come out of nowhere. But I also figured even though you came out of nowhere a little bit, you'd also been around for ages. So I mean, obviously you've been programming for, for a long time. Yeah, but yeah that's the thing. Since, yeah, I don't know, about over 15 years now, I think. It's yeah, yeah picked it up around. It's as, as fun. And yeah, but only only after I went to Laracon AU, I was really excited to, like, there was a Laracon conference and I was really passionate about Laravel. And that's when I discovered that there was a community on Twitter and uh-huh. I joined and it's right. just only brought good things to me so far. <laughs> I love it. Well, 
Jess, thank you so much. This was freaking brilliant. This was so much thank fun. Thank you for having me. It's obvious that you have way more to teach. So I, again, I hope that we get to learn more from you on these topics, but this has been just really, really helpful. I learned a lot. I know everybody else learned a lot. So thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll see you all next time. See ya.